We've come to the last afternoon of the retreat together. Wow, it went fast. Or maybe it went really slow, I don't know, maybe both. I'm sure there are times that it felt like, oh, will this retreat ever end? Will I ever make it through the remaining days? Oh, And then all of a sudden it just passed, didn't it? It was interesting. Time, time. Tonight's topic will not be about time per se, since Ujjagara, Bhante Ujjagara spoke about that beautifully last night. And I just want to set your expectations about tonight's talk. Um, so I think last night we witnessed something quite extraordinary in this hall, something quite beautiful and extraordinary. We were prepared by considering the ricocheting of thoughts in multiple universes, and then witnessed a plunger making it to the stage at IMS, probably a first, perhaps a last. (laughs) And then the plunger masqueraded as a violin, making the music of time, we're referring to the music of time, and then we were transported with that simile into timelessness. And if that was not enough, then we were presented by an art piece that was commissioned specifically for last night's talk. Who can top that? (laughs) A hard act to follow, really, really hard act to follow, Bonte. I mean, seriously. Well done. <laughs> so now that I've set your expectations, don't expect that. No, no art commissioned for this talk. No plunger, mundane, profane. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. <laughs> So, what have we done this week? What are we doing? What have we been doing? So, investigating the perceived reality of our experience. And again, on paper, it can sound high and mighty, and and as we use some, you know, try to put framework around it, but it's actually really simple. Just being with the present moment experience, slowly, slowly, in detail, gently, kindly. That's the summary of it. And then as you expand it, all the detail expands from there. As you see more detail, you see the body in a different way, the the. the the experience of having a body, you feel that in a different way. You, you experience the mental experience as a different way. Not so compact, but it's, it's in pieces, the pieces that come and go. And then the emphasis with the come and go. You see the pieces that come and go. 
as Bantu Jagar was talking about this morning in the guided meditations, noticing not just arrivals, which is what I've been talking about, but departures, which is what he brought into the meditation. So arrivals and departures, arisings and passing away, everything coming and going, everything coming and going, everything just... I mean, we know that mentally. We know everything arises and passes away. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but really getting that, really, really seeing that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what I did also f- uh, want to put in perspective, um, it has come up before both in, in talks, we've referred to it here and there, and also in some some practice meetings, just to put, put in perspective... Um, the, the framework that we've been teaching has been from the Abhidhamma, as mentioned, and there's a lot of detail. And many of you are familiar with the framework of the five aggregates, um, the five khandas. And the five khandas, for those who may be less fami- familiar, or just repeating that for those who are familiar. So rupa, which is body. So that's one of the five, rupa. And then vijnana, which is consciousness. A vedana, which is feeling tone, we've talked about that already. Sanya, perception, we've talked about that also. And then sankara, which came into the room a few days ago through a question. Sankara, which is actually where all the other mental factors that Abhidhamma really explores, they kind of get lumped into sankara. They kinda, so, so the two models are the same. One is more expanded with a lot of mental factors and more details. And the five aggregates, the the sankara, um, has all the other mental factors. With the one leading being chaitana, volition, which again we talked about. So the sutta model, which is the five aggregates, which is talked about a lot, is not so different from the abhidhamma model. Abhidhamma is just a lot more detailed, and here again, rupa is rupa, and and in abhidhamma it gets. Um, broken down to a lot of lot of details for every sense door, etc., etc. Which again we didn't go into into that much detail, but just for those who have expressed interest in in pursuing some of these studies further, just to give you a sense of that. So so what we've done basically uh, I'm going to repeat, but just to be just to be clear, what we've done, what we're doing, what is this practice? What, so, so as to not get confused, not to lose the forest for the trees, all these trees. Calming the mind, gently, with kindness, calming the mind, and then opening up to. F- physical experience, noticing what the physical experience first person is like, and then noticing the elements of the mental experience, the elements of that, breaking that compactness into its constituents by seeing more details. And then the next step is vipassana, which is seeing the three characteristics of existence. So so vipassana, it's it's actually it's it can it's been used in as a catch-all term 
as a movement, Vipassana movement, Vipassana tradition, Vipassana as insight. So Vipassana, similar to the word mindfulness, um, is kind of overloaded, is an overloaded term. And there are different ways that it is used. So I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about Vipassana itself, um, both specifically the word and and more generally. So the word Vipassana in Pali is from Sanskrit prefix V and the verbal root Pa. So it's often translated as insight or clear seeing in insight meditation society so that's where it comes from or clear seeing so the v in vipassana may mean seeing into or see through uh, to see in a special way or alternatively v can function as an intensive so vipassana can mean seeing deeply Basically, it means seeing in a particular way or seeing deeply or seeing things as they are. So that seems pretty general in a way, right? So it can refer to insight, any insight that arises. However, specifically in the tradition, in many teachings, um, in, in, in actually some teachings in, the, in um Actually, I'm not sure in, in every teaching or not. Bonte would know that. He has encyclopedia, encyclopedic knowledge about the suttas. I don't, so we complement each other. So the um, Vipassana, actually, specifically, this clear seeing in the tradition, is referred specifically to seeing anicca, dukkha, anatta. Seeing these three marks of existence, and I'll translate anicca, impermanence, inconstancy, things always changing. So seeing that aspect of the process. Dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. Things come and go, they're not satisfactory. They, they don't have lasting satisfaction. It's also translated as suffering, but unsatisfactoriness might be a better translation for this context. And anatta, not self. And I prefer not self instead of no self because sometimes no self can, in the mind, get confused as there is no self, which can be kind of denying, self-denying. You know, it can be life-denying that you don't exist, but that's not the intention. That's not the, the, the teaching. Not self. It's not, it's, it's not personal. There's not an atta. Atta is this, this self, this, this um, constant, continuous um, self. It's like the theory of, homunculus, that as if there is a homunculus in your head that is making all these decisions, there is this little self. So not self means there is no homunculus. This whole being is a process. It's all a process. So it's not self. It's a process. So those three marks of existence, anicca, dukkha, nata, seeing those three marks in everything, in all the physical phenomena, and the mental phenomena, that is the specific definition of Vipassana. Very specific. So, so as the questions have come up, and also in the notes, I received another one regarding, um, can you practice m- uh, metta, uh, can you practice Vipassana with metta, 
um, as you bring a, um, um, a being to mind and wish them well and you see the action in the mind and the wishing well, all of that. So if you were seeing the three marks of existence in your mental, in your wishing well, that, oh, it's impermanent and it goes away, but then it's not metta anymore. It becomes vipassana. You see? So in that way, vipassana is very specific in, in this way of defining it. Is very specific, and um, so so metta, a wonderful practice, a, a lovely practice of cultivating the heart, um, cultivating friendliness and and good wishes for ourselves, for others, for all beings everywhere and everything, meeting everything with with friendliness. Wonderful practice, but different. It's different, right? It's a different. Uh, it's a. It's metta is a cultivation practice, whereas vipassana is seeing this aspect, these three marks of existence. I'm going to keep repeating this throughout the talk until you get it. Until you you walk out of this. Like, yes, vipassana, three marks of existence. Um, so anicca, dukkanatta, seeing the impermanence, seeing the arising and passing away, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, not self. And and usually the doorway for most people and the instructions for seeing this process, this this process of the, the three characteristics is is through seeing impermanence, through seeing the arising and passing away, um, seeing unsatisfactoriness and, and dukkha is also a doorway, as well as seeing the the um, not self, seeing the process, uh, seeing that seeing that the self and every seeing the emptiness basically, and all these three are really related to each other. Um, there are different aspects. The three marks of existence are actually really one. They're both. They're all. Di- different manifestations of of emptiness in a way and emptiness again being being um, a hallmark teaching so let me let me share with you how um, how they actually try how, how they fold into each other how they equal so when something is impermanent it just arises and passes away it's inconstant right it's not always there Right? You can't rely on it. It becomes unreliable. Right? So by that, by that, uh, by a Nietzsche, then if you can't reliably uh, uh, always go to it for, for satisfaction, then it, it, by definition it becomes unsatisfactory because it's not always there. So, for example, random example, if your back was feeling okay... But but now it's not feeling okay. <laughs> it's it's not constant, right? It's, it cannot be a, something to rely upon. So it becomes an uns- unsatisfactory and dukkha. Well, in this case, it's actually dukkha. But uh, but you see, when it cannot be relied upon, it cannot be a source of lasting happiness, last of happy, lasting happiness and satisfaction. It just can't be. It's unreliable in that way. It's inconstant. And similarly, that. The, the two tie into anatta because it is a process. It, it is, um, 
it is ungovernable. There's no control. There's no self in it. It's, it's ungovernable, uncontrollable. There's no self to say, oh, be this way. Don't change and be satisfying. And hence, it is ungovernable. It's, a pro- it's not something you can own. It's not yours. It's not you. So in this way, you can see, and then you can sit with this. The three are actually the same. And, and anatta really is an expression of, of emptiness, of this, the, the um, experienced as not so much as a negation of life. So, so actually, now I want to, yeah, let me, let me talk a little more because I think it came out in questions earlier too. Seeing the three characteristics, so, so why do we do this? Let me, let me pop up one level. Let me pop up one level. Okay, so why do we do this thing? Why, why do we want to see these three characteristic things? What's, why? Well, it's the way things are. It's just the way things are. So by seeing how actually things are, you can have more perspective. You can have more clarity as how things are actually working. So if you're a child and you are sitting and there was this this show with, with marionettes, with puppets, they're all moving up and down, and you did not see the strings at all, and you were completely enchanted and fascinated and, and really in story and and when the uh, the the marionettes would would fall you you would you would cry and 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 you you would have joy and and you would be completely enchanted in the story but when you actually see the strings and you know oh how it's working you have clarity you know how the whole thing is is held together how the whole thing is working and if you choose, you can, you can still be part of the story. You can still weep. You can still, it's, it's, it's all of that is still happening. But you have bigger perspective. You're not limited to one perspective. You're limited to the bigger perspective. You see more. You have both the, the relative reality that we all live in, and we, you also have access. You've seen, you've gone to the top of the mountain. You've seen... Again, um, so actually, another analogy I want to bring in is if you lived in the flatlands and you only went around and saw the valleys and you saw the hills and you saw um, everything that was in the flatland, you, you would have no idea of perspective. Now, if you climbed a mountain and you saw the land from up there, ah, okay, you get a sense of how it's laid out. You don't stay up there. Ultimate reality is not a place to stay and hang out. It's hard to pay your bills. It's hard to have relationships. But you've seen the world differently. You see it differently. You're better informed like, oh, that's how it works. And then you come down and you live in the flatlands, but you've seen the world differently. And oh, and, and the way you relate to it changes changes little by little by little by little and it's not overnight you as you've been practicing here you've seen some ways in which 
Oh, this is a different way of experiencing my body. Oh, look at that. Oh, pain is not as painful anymore. It's different. It's separate. It gives you a little bit of freedom. Oh, look at that mind. Oh, look at how these things just, the, these events of the mind just one follows another. Look at that Vedana, that unpleasant, pleasant neutral. It just shows up. Look at that. You start to see more and it happens and it opens you up little by little by little by little. And you keep practicing and you get to see more and you get to change, be changed more, more and more and more. And then you have access to a different way of being. There is more freedom. It's, freedom is very simple. Is is having more peace, more equanimity, more ease about things that you suffered about before that really got your goat. Simple. That's a weird explanation of freedom. But, but anyway, it's it's... It's simple, just, you know, it's not so, so far out. And also, seeing the three characteristics and seeing anatta, the impersonality, that it's not personal, it doesn't mean like a negation, oh, it's, it's, it's no self, it's not self, it doesn't matter, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all, then it actually, it opens you up to feeling more, it opens you up to compassion, oh, it's impersonal, and, and it's ungovernable, it's uncontrollable, and it's, there's still 10,000 joys, and 10,000 sorrows, and there is still suffering, so you can become more available for being with, both for yourself and for others, because you're no so, not so caught in it, not so caught in the story, you can have more space to actually hold it more, knowing the, the lines of the marionette, knowing what the big story is, and still being in it with compassion and openness. Another example I want to offer about content and process and seeing the three characteristics as seeing the process, seeing the process and not just being in the content is, I want to bring this in from actually from psychology. There is um, what's called um, theory that's called the family systems. So the idea is that in a family, um, when some when there is there is some um, there is something going on in the family and and for example let's say you're in the family and and you're and there's a lot going on and and um, there are a lot of stories coming on this person said this she said that my sister is this my brother is that my my husband blah blah and it's not if if you're caught in the story and you don't see the process of what is going on. It's, it's just, it's, it's more like being caught in the content. But if you take a step back, if you take a step back and say, oh, when this member of the family, when they express um, sadness, this other member of the family, oh, they become, they shut down. Oh, this leads to that. You can see the processes. So you can, when you take a step back and you're so much caught in the content, you see the processes, how things are working what leads to what. In a way, that's the same way with seeing the process. You see the process. It gives you perspective. And evolutionarily, we perceive things in a particular way. We perceive things really fast because speed uh, is of benefit, has been of benefit for, for thousands of years for survival. 
if if a woolly mammoth came after you and you start to feel oh heat hardness softness oh unpleasant you would be dead meat right so speed scared run mammalian brain has been trained that way so again that's that's our evolutionary baggage or gift heritage um by slowing down, slowing down, just as Bhante Ujjagara was saying beautifully, just slowing down and, and paying attention to, to, to nuances, to details, in a gentle way, when the mind is, is, is not so busy, it can see more, it can see more. And that's what we've been doing all week, not, nothing esoteric. So seeing the arising and passing away for many people can, can be the doorway to see all three characteristics. And often the teachings can be very simple to notice the arising and the passing away, just that. And, and you might have already noticed this. You might have already noticed this in your practice this week on different scales, how throughout the day on the retreat, let's say on a larger scale, um, your mind states would would arise and pass away. You would get up in the morning, you would be a particular way, then you would be a different way, and then maybe there would be a mind storm, you would be angry about something, and then there would be peace, and there would be bliss and happiness and joy, then there would be just everything arising and passing away. It's like weather in London. If you don't like it, you just wait. It's going to arise and pass away. It's like weather is of the mind. If you don't like it, it'll arise and pass away. Physical, physical things, mostly. Like backs, mostly. They, they get better, usually. <laughs> the pain arises and passes away. Just, you just have to have patience. It arises and passes away. So, so as a practice, then, with what we have been working with, then you can see the arising and passing away of the constituents that you've been seeing both in the body and in the mind. For example, with Vedana. Vedana is actually one of my favorite um, practices. As I said, it's the second Satipatthana, it's the second foundation of mindfulness. Vedana, feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Just seeing how that can change how that changes throughout the day, that, that changes every moment, different things eliciting different pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, just coming and going, just this flux of it, and, and the uncontrollability of it. And that's where the anatta can be seen, like, wow, this is just happening. I, I, I don't have so much control of the matter. It's ungovernable, just coming and going. And it's not exactly satisfactory. And what's interesting specifically with with uh, Vedana is um, that often when there is unpleasant Vedana, what we do in in our lives, we sometimes we actually we don't even notice the unpleasant Vedana. We don't notice the unpleasant feeling tone. The mind turns to pleasant in order to quelch the unpleasant. It just we do this actually um, like a knee jerk reaction. 
if we don't notice it, we do it all the time. Sometimes we do it actually intentionally because something hurts and we decide to intentionally check out. We don't want to be with what's unpleasant. But sometimes it's such a habit that it just comes up. Um, I'll give you I'll give you an example. This was so interesting. Some time ago, I was I was at home and and I was sitting and I'm perfectly you know I seemed okay. I wasn't um, I wasn't noticing. I wasn't meditating, so I was just sitting, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, chocolate would be great right now. Like, wait a minute, chocolate, what, what happened? Whoa, 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 what just happened? So I, I noticed that the, the thought right before that, I wasn't quite mindful before that, so I noticed the thought before that had been a sad thought. It was a really sad thought. And my mind thought, mayday, mayday, let's, let's cheer her up. Unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. We, we're going to mask the unpleasant with pleasant. Chocolate, that's, that's what's pleasant. <laughs> Chocolate and ice cream are the two that kind of come off. And we're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What was that thought? What, what just happened? So it's so instructive. It's so interesting to see what the mind does, and, and actually that's, it, it's in a sutta that, that I don't have with me. I could search for it, but anyway, it's, it's, it's um, in, in the teaching on the, um, um, on the arrow, on the, the, on the second arrows, and it's where the, the, uh, where, um, uh, the Buddha talks about Vedana, that, that um, the untrained mind, when the unpleasant Vedana arises, it seeks, it searches, it looks for, it wants pleasant Vedana. It just tries to check out from the unpleasant. Whereas the trained mind notices the unpleasant Vedana. And it's just unpleasant. It's just unpleasant. So with any of the <clears throat> aspects that we have talked about, you can notice they're arising and passing away. You can er- notice the arising and passing away of sounds. Actually, that's that's an easiest place to start if you haven't done this practice before. For those of you who have, you can work with the more, you know, the detailed constituents. For those who of you haven't, a fun way to actually um, work with this practice is noticing the beginning and end of sounds, the arising of sounds and the sounds passing, arising and passing. And then all you see is arising and passing. And that then tunes your mind to see arising and passing in other in other things arising and passing arising and passing and then you see wow everything just arises and passes how did i notice this before because you weren't looking for it you weren't your 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 evolutionarily trained brain isn't really exactly looking for for anicca for impermanence So, seeing detail, <clears throat> seeing the refinement of your experience, as you take some perspective and you take some distance and you see how things work in the mind, what gets you caught, stepping out of the stories and see how things are working and seeing the, the three characteristics, seeing the impersonality of all of this. And again, it's, it's a process, it's not overnight. And the fastest way is to keep practicing. 
keep practicing, keep practicing. One of you asked about, actually maybe a couple of you had asked about, about dreams, whether there is a way to work with also dreams and bring dreams into this investigation of reality. So I wanted to bring that in briefly too. Um, yes, there is a way to include your, your dream life in the investigation of reality. It's not so much part of the Theravada tradition so much. There is a lot of dream, dream yoga in um, Tibetan Buddhism and um, in Mahayana in general. <clears throat> and, and, it's, and the practice, in, in, not in the Buddhist tradition, but in, in the lay tradition, is called lucid dreaming. And I've practiced lucid dreaming, so I, I can talk about it. I can share it from my own experience, which is actually quite, can be quite a profound experience uh, with investigating reality. So, so what is lucid dreaming? So lucid dreaming basically is when you become conscious, you wake up while you are dreaming, while you are asleep. So what does that mean? What does that feel like? It means that um, you're, you're asleep, you're dreaming, your REM cycle, you know, whatever is happening, you're flying, whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm dreaming. And then you, bec- you, you wake up in the dream. You're still asleep, but you're conscious. You're realizing you're dreaming in the sleep. And then you can actually control your dreams. That You can actually experience the dreamscape. Um, and what is quite profound about this experience, about this lucid dreaming practice, is that um, the reality that you perceive, the perceived reality while you're asleep is the same as the perceived reality while you're awake. There is no difference. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty wild, actually. Um, and that, that, uh, many years ago, I practiced this, actually, regularly, and, and there was a time that I could see, I could see this reality, the, the dream-like reality, the dream-like quality of, of what we call reality that I take to be so solid. This, it has a dream-like quality that wasn't clear to me until I did the lucid dreaming practice because the dreams felt really, really real. And then I, when I became lucid, I could conjure up, okay, I want to conjure up Einstein and have a conversation. And there would be Einstein and we would have a conversation. And it was very real. But I knew I was dreaming or I want to conjure up this person or I want, or I want to fly. And then I would start flying in the dream and it felt very real, very real. Or I would do this or I would, I would touch myself and like, wow, my hand, I would touch one hand. I actually remember the very first time I became lucid, um, I touched one hand with the other and the sensation was so intense was so profound. You, the, the four elements on steroids. It was so intense to feel the touch, the sensations in the dreamland. It was so real. It was more real than what reality, what this waking up reality feels like. Um, so, 
so yes, there is a way to to investigate reality through dreams. And what tends to happen for some practitioners is that when they um, sit retreats, when when they are on retreat and their mind really calms down and there is continuous mindfulness throughout the day, at night, the actually lucid dreaming somehow happens spontaneously. Not for everyone, but there are always you know a few people who are in there, so you might have experienced that. And then there are also ways, again, if you're interested, to train your mind if you wanted to, to become, to, to practice with lucid dreaming. There is a great book by uh, Stephen LaBurge uh, called Lucid Dreaming. And there are, and he talks, he's, um, I, if I remember correctly, he was a Stanford professor and did a lot of research on lucid dreaming, actually. And his book talks about it and has a lot of practical ways to train yourself um, to lucid dream. And usually the way, so, so some of those trainings um, is during the day, every time you walk through a doorway, you ask yourself, am I awake or am I dreaming? Or every time you turn on off a light, you know, you just like, am I, am I awake or am I dreaming? And then what happens is that since it's like mindfulness, you train yourself, right? So your mind pops these questions, so, uh, given these cues throughout the day. And then when you're in a dreamland, that's going to happen to your, your subconscious mind is going to pop up these questions. So say if you go through a doorway in a dream and then automatically this pops up, am I awake or dreaming? Like, oh, guess what? Actually, I'm dreaming. And some other times the way it happens actually mostly for me uh, nowadays is noticing inconsistency um, in, in dreams. Actually, towards the beginning of the retreat one night, I remember... Um, I think, how did it happen? Um, I woke up and I think it was um, about 4 a.m. and I went back to sleep and then I dreamt that it was 3 a.m. I thought, wait, that can't be right. It was just 4 a.m. It can't be 3 a.m. I must be dreaming. Oh, yeah, I'm, okay, I, yeah, I'm dreaming. So it's, it's checking inconsistencies. Or I live in California. I remember once I, I dreamt that it was, it was snowing everywhere and I thought, what? Snow everywhere? San Francisco? I must be dreaming, sure enough, and then I, I became lucid. So their inconsistency checking is another way. Anyway, for those who are interested, um, you, you can check that out. But, but coming back to, to how it relates is investigating reality, this reality that we take to be so solid. Um, it's almost like the movie Matrix. <laughs> for those of you who have seen it, if you haven't, you, you can go see it and you'll get the reference. Um, so, yeah, reality is not what we think it is. And with the, mar- with the three marks of characteristic, the three marks of existence, the impermanence, what we take to be solid, things aren't solid, always here. They arise and pass away so quickly, um, in so many ways. And it's not personal, it's just this body, this mind, is not personal, it's a process. There are still 10,000 joys and sorrows, and it's not personal. We're all, we're all players in this cosmic game. We have been given our parts. May we play it well. Thank you. So, 
I'd like to open the floor up for questions as we're getting closer to the end of the retreat. There might be more questions coming up for you. There were some questions about how to take the practice home, um, and Bonte and I will talk about that tomorrow morning in the closing session. So, yeah, Alisa. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. So the the question is about um, this this transition uh, this transitory period that you have entered. The retreat hasn't quite ended, but you've had the manager's talk, and so uh, the mind wants to leap forward, but it also wants to stay in the retreat. So it's this transition period, and there's a lot that's coming up. There's a lot that comes up. Um, of course, yeah, there's a lot that comes up, and especially um, when when the mind has been especially quiet and silent for a while and, and information starts to come in and plans about leaving, it, it can even can feel even more unstable, can even feel busier. So, so my recommendation is to, to notice all of that and, and be with all of it. It's all part of this process. Notice the resistance, noticing the mind that wants to continue to be quiet till the last moment. Notice the mind that wants to leave right now, it's done. Um, notice all of that, just notice all of that. There's so much to notice. And notice that it will keep changing every moment. It will keep changing. And just be right with it. And whatever arises, um, right on time. The same way that as you entered, the sleepiness, all of that that was coming, I was right on time. Right now, all the anxiety and the this this the space of uh, um, not quite left, still here. All of that, right on time. Everything that arises, it is a practice. Just as you said, it is a, the same way that landing is a practice. Learning to to depart gently and being with everything that comes, not not negating it. Embracing all of it is part of the practice. Mm. Yeah. Before the question is about the four noble truths. Yeah. Just starting with there is dukkha. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so the four. Uh, so the question is about the relationship between the four noble truths and the three characteristics. How to relate them? Because the the they both have dukkha. In, they both have dukkha in them. So how how does how does it relate? 
Yeah. So, so in the Four Noble Truths, uh, the first Noble Truth being the truth of Dukkha, that there is inherent and satisfactoriness in life. It's just inherent to the fabric of life. Um, and, and also the way it's also translated and taught is that there is suffering, right? There is suffering, the, the Noble Truth of Suffering. Um, and the noble truth of the cessation and, and the cause of suffering. What causes that? What causes that suffering is the wanting, is the tanha. Um, and that, that, that the cessation of suffering is, is possible. And the, the Eightfold noble, noble Path, which is the way for the cessation of suffering. Yeah. So, and the three marks of existence... Uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, there's that dukkha there too. So the way that I, I like to think about these teachings, about the relationship between the two, in the three, char- in the three characteristics, um, is in terms of, um, I don't like the translation of suffering for dukkha there. It's more unsatisfactoriness. It's inherent unsatisfactoriness. It's just not satisfactory forever. It just isn't. Whereas, uh, a better translation, perhaps, for for the um, uh, th- for the dukkha in the the four noble truths is that suffering is that uh, is the dukkha that is caused by or is a result of the wanting is the tanha that 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 we're quite familiar with we um, that we know that this wanting when that it, both wanting leads to suffering leads to unease, lack of ease, um, and also inherent in the wanting, in that, uh, in that, uh, that actually in and of itself, uh, is painful. So that's how I relate the two of them, if that might be of help. Even though it's the same word, I know, but it's a different way of, of seeing it. Yeah. We've been talking about Vipassa being the clear scene, the clear scene of the three characteristics. Yeah, yeah. As the path of insight. How do I relate that to the path that is the path to this eradication of this other thing that is of a similar word? Right. Yeah, yeah. So so that is, I, I see that more and, and, um, I, I see that more as is is the suffering that we cause ourselves. It's the suffering that is caused because of the the, the dukkha, the wanting. It's it's this it's um, it's um, it's it's the experience of suffering. It's the experience of suffering. It's the it's the um, is also relating to to the. Uh, the second error teachings, right? There is inherent unsatisfactoriness, and then what do we do with it? We want it to be otherwise. We want it to be different. We want it to be constant. We want it to be self. We want it to be controllable. We want it to be everlasting pleasant. And that causes that suffering. Yeah, thank you. There's one hand over here. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I'm curious because when something comes up and I greet it within this friendly space of mind, regardless of the vedna that comes up, mm -hmm. I've been greeting it um, like, oh, hey there, welcome, which is like a positive vedna. Mm -hmm. And I don't, is that the practice of just like greeting everything with a positive vedna? Because that doesn't seem... Yeah, not not so much. So so the question is whether the practice is to to greet everything with a pleasant vedana, with that friendliness. So so the the friendliness, the the idea was to just be open up and not greet everything with resistance, but but uh, greet everything with curiosity and openness. So instead of trying to put a label of pleasant on everything. Just opening up, give it space, like, oh, curiosity, what are you? Who are you? But, but it helps at first to have that friendliness, to, to kind of soften the mind a little bit, soften the mind and the body. Does that help? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. So the que the question the question is about uh states of jhana and how and how they relate and is it like going to the top of the mountain and how long do you stay and what? So um So just to be clear, also I wanted to come back to what I said a couple of days ago um regarding states of concentration. So um let me take a step back first. It's a preamble to answer your question. So, um, the, the the Buddha taught um, concentration, and he taught um, jhanas as states of absorption, which is really the culmination of of states of um, of um, samadhi, samatha, which is really the mind gets absorbed in the object. So, so concentration gets quite developed as a way to practice vipassana as a way to practice, as, as leading to, as a doorway leading to the practice of vipassana. He did not teach them alone as um, insight-producing, liberating. Um, there are some insights that can come from jhanas, but mainly in this tradition, mainly primarily, are used as a way to stabilize the mind, really stabilize the mind so that you can really see clearly. So that is the relationship. And um, so, so by themselves alone, they are not liberating. They are, um, they are very blissful states, but in and of them, and, and there's nothing wrong with bliss, by the way. I, I think there was some miscommunication. There is nothing wrong with bliss. There is nothing wrong with jhanas. There's nothing wrong with the, um, with the um, settling and unifying and really refreshing aspect of the jhanas. They're actually quite lovely and beautiful as long as one doesn't use them as a way to check out. And by being in them alone, insight, you know, the, the three characteristics, insight, insights leading to liberation, do not get produced. So in that way, if, one, if, um, if one's practice becomes to just hang out in them and ignore one's problems or ignore or not, want, or, or not use them as a way to 
to, uh, for, for insight, then they become not the path. They become a distraction. They become a dead end in that way. However, if one practices concentration or jhanas in the way um, to strengthen, uh, to uh, unify one's mind for the purpose of insight, then yippee, that's, that's the teaching, that's the path. So they're really powerful, they are wonderful tools, they're very strong tools, they're great, and they have a purpose, not in and of themselves per se. So, so with that, your question was whether it's like going to the top of the mountains with the jhanas. Not so much. It's like going to a cave and staying there. That analogy works in some ways. It doesn't work in some other ways, but you get the picture, perhaps. Yeah, thank you. I want to invite people who haven't asked any questions in the hall yet, who, who may have questions. Yeah. Uh, when you've spoken of anatta this week, I've noticed that you used a kind of shorthand in describing it by by mentioning ungovernability. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at first that was difficult for me to to grasp but then today you you mentioned another dimension that was much more accessible to me and that was the whole idea of impersonal of the impersonality yeah of it and so i think of it as sort of um we're all a process of this impersonal dynamic Mm -hmm. yes i was wondering is there any other dimension yeah. to anatta that you would want to add to those two? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the question is about the different dimensions of anatta. As a shorthand, I've used ungovernability, which which I like. You, Joseph uses that too, and and I like that quite a bit. And then the other aspect that I added today, which which you found more accessible, and I'm glad, is the impersonality that it's not personal. Um, and are there any other dimensions? Um, there, there are different ways. There are many different ways to 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 see anatta. One one way that I actually, when I talk longer about anatta and I and I bring the various aspects of it in, uh, it's um, it's it's seeing the seeing life as a, seeing seeing this body and mind as a process, um, and seeing it as an emergent process. Um, it's an emergent process that uh, comes up from everything working together, and it seems it's like a magic show. Everything works, and you think, oh, it's a person, has volition, it's, do- it's doing this, it's doing... But it's actually, it's, um, it's an emergent property of all these things that are working together that causes this conditions this, this conditions that, previous actions have conditioned this, the... Pre- um, Previous decisions have conditioned these grooves in the mind that now are going to do this. So all of this thing kind of works together. And oh, um, so so one one simile I like to use for that is um, if you've ever seen a um, a flock of of birds in the sky. Actually, not so much a flock, but um, what is it called? There's a name for it. When Yes, memoration, yeah, of birds. When you see, it feels, they're just moving in the sky. And it looks like, it looks like an entity. And it looks like one person is the leader and is being directed. But actually, there is no leader. It's, it's um, 
apparently there's some rule, some um, uh, rules of thumb that each each one is following, each bird is following the other bird by by a little bit, and somehow there's some perturbation that happens, and and but it looks completely orchestrated. They go this way and go that way, and it just um, it's an emergent process what you see, and this self, this this. Um, the self that it and, and the self exists, right? It exists. We, we we not to negate it, not to, not to be self-denying in any way, but to take our blinders on. Like, oh yeah, it is an immersion process. Wow, what an amazing, lovely immersion process. Wow, this is pretty cool. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Yes, please, back, uh, actually you first and then you, yeah, please, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So in lunch, on lunch line today, yeah. I looked at the blackboard and I noticed there was nothing written. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept practicing. Pizza. It didn't stop me from taking too much, right? which was interesting because then I took extra greens and I was trying to cover up taking <laughs> Thank you for that. I don't think I can paraphrase that as beautifully as you did, but, but, um, <laughs> but the shorthand of the question is, um, say, for example, you so you observed at, at, at lunch greed coming up, wanting pizza, taking even though you saw the greed very clearly, the seeing clearly didn't quite didn't stop you from from taking extra and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so so. Um, what what other practice? What what else besides seeing? Besides seeing it in the mind, um, how how do we work with these patterns? Oh, um, so so I congratulate you in seeing it. Actually, that is terrific. That is the first step. I think when you don't see it, it can go completely unchecked. But that first step of actually seeing it, even at first when it's like, whoa, okay, I have no control. I just see you and you're taking over. Okay. But just that seeing is really, really powerful. Is that seeing clearly. What I invite you to do besides that seeing in the mind is actually feel it in the body. That is important. Feel the greed in your body. How does that feel? How does that wanting? It's actually tanha. How does that tana, that that greed of wanting more and wanting more, and, and then not wanting other people to see it, wanting to hide it with salad or green beans, and just like feel, feel all of you know, really feel it and sit with that. And again, it does it doesn't necessarily mean that you you slap yourself, but you just feel it. You might still go ahead and take it, but you are really present now with what this is actually causing in this system, this wanting. 
And that's when after seeing that over and over and over, the mind will recoil. The mind will go, you know, I don't want to go there. That's just not fun. I just, it's like after you beat your head against the wall for a while, just the mind's like, yeah, I just don't want to, that's, that's just unpleasant. That just, I don't want to do that. I, so it's not so much don't do that. It's that the mind itself decides it's unprofitable. It's just, I don't want to do that. Yeah, last one. Yeah. You mentioned these these three characteristics yeah. that we're looking for that's really the, the foundation of the possible. And most of the traditions focus on the um on the anicha. Yeah. That's that's most prominent, most accessible. And I notice often what comes up for me is this this distinct sense that no one's home. Mm-hmm. It it makes complete sense, yeah. If I can paraphrase what you said, is the observation that comes up for you sometimes is that there is nobody home. There is no one there, right? It's 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 that that feeling or sensation. That there's the feeling that comes up that you look around and it doesn't feel like to be anybody. Is that a, a reasonable paraphrase? Yeah. And the question is, um, how to work with that in a way? Is is that fair fair paraphrase, or do you want me to make it more detailed? Yeah, I guess I'd be curious. Whatever you have to say about it, I've noticed in this form of vipassana and others. Yeah. There's a there's kind of a hammering on the the anicca. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrific, terrific. So anatta is more prominent for you, and that's your doorway. That's your doorway. Terrific. We each have a different doorway, and and anatta as a doorway, which is a more prominent experience for you, um, it's um, and working with that is great. You don't need to to hammer. And anicca. It's any of them is a doorway. If anatta comes more easily for you, great, fantastic. Hang out there, and see that. See that in that space. Then you can see. Uh, then you can work in that space and the the various uh, investigations, doing them from that space and seeing how actually things arise and pass away in that space without a doer. Hearing can arise on its own. Hearing can happen in that space. And there's no one to really hear. Hearing is happening. Hearing is happening. Seeing is happening. Thinking is happening. Thoughting is happening in that space. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's a great place to practice. Lovely. Thank you. Okay. That's a great place to end for today. Thank you all for your practice and for being here.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.